But if you will go ahead and stand and worship with us, that would be great.
Well, good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church. Man, I'm excited about worship this morning and I hope that you are as well. We're excited this morning to have our uh, student ministry band leading us in worship, all right? These guys and some others get to lead us each Wednesday night, and, and a different crew leads the Radius Band, but we're excited to have them here this morning and, and help and lead us in worship. If you're a guest with us this morning, we want to especially welcome you. Uh, you'll notice there in the pew rack in front of you is a little white guest registration card, and if you can fill that out, drop that in the offering plate later on in the service when it's passed. That'd be a great way for us to get to know you by name, and, and, and you can indicate on there to receive our newsletter. You can indicate on there ways that we can pray for you. We pray each Monday morning in our staff meeting for the needs specifically that are turned in during our services on Sunday morning. And so uh, we want that opportunity to pray for you. So anything that we can pray, uh, you don't even have to be a guest here this morning for the first time. Any way that we can pray for you, please put that on one of those cards and, and drop that in there. And it's a great way for us to be able to pray for you. Tonight, you're not going to want to miss the uh, variety show that takes place down, downstairs in the gym at 6 o'clock. Uh, uh, the students are putting on a variety show. It's going to be an incredible time of, of seeing the way that they're going to showcase some talents and, and share about their love for Christ. So you're not going to want to miss that. I'm, I'm hearing we're having a French horn solos all the way to rap. Uh, we'll have uh, dramas. We'll have some skits. And the best part is Todd Green is going to be dancing. Yeah. Where'd he go? Oh, he didn't. You, you moved on me. I didn't. I was going to say, you don't even have a mic, so you can't say anything. But now he's closer to the mic. So you're not going to want to miss the variety show, so be here tonight at 6 o'clock and uh, come out and support the students. Let me pray for us, and we'll continue uh, to worship this morning. God, we thank you uh, that you spring joy and you spring love and you spring forgiveness and grace and mercy up in our hearts that we can be contagious and take that out. Take your love out to the streets, to the neighborhoods, to the workplaces that we are in each morning, each day. Lord, I pray as we continue to worship this morning, that our singing is pleasing to you, that the preaching of your word brings honor to you, and that, God, everything we do during this hour brings you glory. God, just challenge our hearts, change us from the way we were when we walked in this room this morning. It's in your son's name we pray.
we just lift you up. We cry out and say, God, send us where you want us to go. God, we want to worship you with everything that we have. We want to give you everything because you gave us everything. God, we, we're willing to give our lives because you gave yours. God, we just, we want to praise you. God, I pray that you will just, you will just be with us this morning, that your spirit will be in this room, that you will fill our hearts, fill our souls, and that you will just make your presence known and make your power known. Oh God, how we are so excited to be here in your presence this morning, to be in your throne room, to be with others worshiping you, God. God, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what's going wrong, no matter how much of our plan is falling apart, God, we know that we can trust in you because your plan is better. So God, we say, even if the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. And it's in your beautiful name that we pray. Thank you, student praise band, man. That was incredible. We're grateful for you leading us in worship. Amen. Yeah. Let's take our Bibles this morning and let's open to the book of Habakkuk. I did not cough or sneeze right there. Uh, that's a book in your Bible. And Habakkuk has a strange name. I'm not even sure I, I fully know how to pronounce it. I think it's Habakkuk. It could be Habakkuk. Uh, it could be Chewbacca. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but although his name sounds kind of strange, the questions that he asks in this book, I think, are ones that we commonly ask. You see, he lived and prophesied around 600 B.C., at a time when things were unraveling fast for God's people. The northern kingdom, Israel, had already been carried off into captivity by the Assyrians, and drought had now come into the southern kingdom of Judah. They've been having a lot of bad kings, making a lot of terrible political moves, basically turning their backs on God. And God basically says, hey, listen, the Babylonians are coming. They're going to invade and take you off into captivity as well. And so Habakkuk describes the situation in verse, or chapter 3, verse 17. He says, the fig tree does not blossom, and there is uh, no fruit on the vines, and the produce of the olive fails. And and the, f the fields yield no food, and the flock is cut off from the fold, and there's no herd in the stalls. And, and you hear him say that, and that almost sounds like a Hebrew country song, right? Like, uh, my wife left me, I lost my job, my truck broke down, my dog died, right? Like, um, so this, these Babylonians, they present this looming threat that they're coming, and um, they're going to carry uh, the survivors after they invade and, and destroy the city. God is showing Habakkuk all of this as a prophet, and he asks this kind of common question I think sometimes we ask, and that's, God, how are we going to get through this? Like right now, you might be in a situation where you just got a bad medical diagnosis, or maybe you're in a crumbling marriage, and you don't see light at the end of the tunnel, or maybe you're in a financial situation right now, and you're wondering, God, how are we going to dig our way out of this? If that's you this morning, I want you to know Habakkuk was written for you. Uh, listen to his opening statement. He says, how long? How long, Lord? How long must I call for help, but, but you don't listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you, keyword, tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict. It all abounds. 
The key word there, tolerate. The ESV translates that as, uh, why do you stand idly and watch? Like, do you, do you even dare to admit that you feel that way sometimes to God? Right? Like, um, it seems like Habakkuk is saying to God, you could do something, but you don't. I don't understand that. Like, there's times over and over in this book, I'm reading this thinking, Habakkuk, do you know who you're talking to? You know, I keep thinking the next line, and then God struck him with lightning, right? Like, I just keep waiting for it to happen. Which leads to another question Habakkuk asks in his book. Like, God, how is any of this fair? Or, God, why are you allowing this to happen? You see, Babylon was creating all of these troubles for Israel, and Habakkuk's like, hey, God, I know that we're not doing great right now, but we're doing a whole lot better than Babylon, right? Uh, you keep blessing them, blessing them, and blessing them. They're a wicked nation, and yet you're going to destroy us and let them go scot-free. God, how's that work? You see this in verse 13 of chapter 1. He says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked are swallowed up, the more righteous than them. Have you ever felt like that? God, I know I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm, I'm a whole lot better than that guy. Why are you blessing him and not me? You see, these questions are questions that, that Habakkuk is going to ask throughout this book. right? And, and what I love about Habakkuk is that usually the minor prophets, they're given a sermon and they deliver it to the people. Habakkuk's book is kind of like he opens up his prayer journal and he lets you see his struggle. And you find out the struggle's real. Um, you see in Habakkuk 2, 1, he said, I will stand at the ramparts and I'm going to watch. And I'm going to look for what he's going to say to me. And what answer I'm supposed to get to this complaint. And what I love about this is that God's going to answer Habakkuk. And then Habakkuk is going to respond to his answer. And then God is going to flex his muscle at Habakkuk, and then Habakkuk is going to be quiet for a little while. And then eventually Habakkuk comes up with one of the greatest statements of faith you're going to find in the Bible. And I think the shape of this book is supposed to teach us something. Habakkuk is going to let you see his internal growth of faith. He's going to open up his heart to you, and he's going to let you learn from his struggle. And so, as I've said before, this book is sometimes really uncomfortable to read, right? I keep thinking, are, are you even allowed to say this to God? Like, this is okay? And I think that shows us something. God's okay with your questions. He's okay if you come to him with honesty. Not only is he okay with it, but look at this. God preserved this conversation with Habakkuk, and he put it in the Bible so that we could learn from it. Not only is God okay with it, he wants us to do this. So let's walk through kind of the key points in this book, okay? So I've got about 20 minutes, and I'm going to go three chapters. What could go wrong? Let's see what happens here. The first thing is this. Habakkuk gives his complaint. Habakkuk basically asks a question that's an age-old problem. And it says this, that the, the world doesn't seem like it's being ruled by an all-good, all-wise, all-powerful God. The philosophers call this the problem of evil. It stems back to the 5th century. This guy named Epicurus basically asked, if God is really all-powerful, he could stop evil. And if he was really loving, he'd want to stop it all. But the fact that pain, suffering, and injustice run rampant in our world means that either God is not all-powerful or he's not good. To give you my redneck version of this, if he's good, then he would. If he could, then he should. 
since he don't, that mean he ain't. A lot of y'all are like, man, that Bible just opened up for me right there. He made it come alive. Um, but this is an age-old problem, isn't it? The problem of evil. And what I love about this is that we're not asking new questions here. I mean, these are questions people of faith have been asking since Genesis 3. Okay? So I want you to see God's answer. And God's answer basically has four components to it. He says first in chapter 1, verse 5, Look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your day that you would not believe even if you were told. He basically says, Habakkuk, I got bigger plans, right? I know that there's no cattle in the field and there's none in the barn, but I've got bigger plans than your cattle. You see, the invasion that God is going to set up with the Babylonians, ultimately that's going to be a picture of God's rescue through Jesus. He's saying, listen, I'm setting up a picture that is going to describe my salvation of the nations. It's bigger than you, Habakkuk. You've got to trust me in this. Then you see in chapter 2, verse 14, he says, For the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He says, what I'm doing right now, Habakkuk, it's so big, like all of the earth is going to know about this. My glory is going to go out through this situation throughout all the earth. It's going to cover the world like the sea, the waters do. And then I love in, in chapter 2, verse 4, he, he says this, In Habakkuk, the righteous are going to live by faith. Habakkuk, if you're going to walk with me through this world, you're going to have to do it by faith. And you're not always going to understand. And you're not always going to see what I'm doing. That's why you've got to trust me. You've got to walk by faith and not by sight. And in chapter 2, verse 20, he says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The last thing that God gives Habakkuk is a picture of him seated on his throne. And he basically says to Habakkuk, listen, if I'm still on the throne, you can trust me with your unanswered questions. If I'm on the throne, nothing else matters. Just trust me. So as you look at God's answer to Habakkuk, I mean, I think that leads me to kind of a, a question here. Is it possible for a good God to allow something painful to happen even though he could stop it, right? Is that possible? And the way I kind of wrestle with that is this. When Luke got his first vaccination, um, he cried, right? You want to know why he cried? They took a needle and they shoved it in his hip, right? He didn't like that. And I'm a good dad. I don't want to see him cry. I don't want to go through, see him go through pain, right? So it hurt me to see him go through that. I never want him to experience pain. But you know what else I don't want him to have? Measles, mumps, or rubella, right? So as a good father, I allowed him to experience some form of pain in order to keep him from experiencing a greater form of pain. So the point is this. If a good person could allow something painful to happen, knowing that something better would come out of it, then if that's the case, is it not possible that the pain that God allows us to go through on earth might be like that too? Right? And you might say right now in your seat, but Jake, you don't understand. There's no way something good could come out of what I'm going through. And what I would say to that is just because you can't see the good doesn't mean God's not working for the good. Right? So the fundamental, the fundamental question we all have to ask, is God still on his throne? 
if the answer to that question is yes, nothing else matters. We can trust him with our unanswered questions. Which leads us now to Habakkuk's great statement of faith in chapter 3. It starts in verse 2. Look what happens here. He says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. I love it for the next 15 verses. What he does is he remembers the Exodus story. The Exodus story for the the Jewish people, for the Israelites, was like their form of the cross. It was their way of seeing God's hand of salvation. So he remembers God's salvation. And in verse 4 of chapter 3, he remembers God's appearance on Sinai. You can go to the next slide. It'll kind of lay this all out there. I'm not going to read it all because of time, but in verse 5, he recounts all the plagues that God brought. In verse 11, he references how the sun stood still for Joshua while they were in battle. In verse 13, uh, he, he talks about how God brought the nation of Egypt down to its knees. And basically what, God, what Habakkuk's doing here is that he's, he's preaching the gospel to himself, Right? He's reminding him how God has been faithful in the past. So why wouldn't he be faithful in the future? I think three important points jump out to us right here from the Exodus story for Habakkuk. Could I just quickly go through them real quick and then we'll apply this text together? The first thing is this. The Exodus tells us that in a broken world, we are not innocent people who are suffering. Listen, suffering in general, in general, exists because of the human rebellion that happened at Genesis 3. We've all participated in that rebellion, which means that uh, none of us can really point a finger at God and say, I don't deserve any of this. R.C. Sproul was once asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people? R.C. Sproul said, well, if I meet good people, I'll let you know, (laughs) right? We're not innocent people who are suffering. But the Exodus story also tells us this about a broken world. God is not short on power, right? He can control the sun, he can control the moon, and he can split the ocean wide. He's not short on power. The third thing this shows us in a broken world is God has not given up on us. In the same way that he rescued his people in the Exodus for a purpose, that purpose lives on today. The Israelites were all the time saying, oh, he's going to leave us in the wilderness to die. That wasn't the case, and it's still not the case now. So after meditating on these things in verse 16 of chapter 3, here's what Habakkuk says. Just watch this statement of faith come out. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept in my bones and my legs trembled. This is after God has answered him, has shown him what's going to happen. He knows that his circumstances aren't going to change. He does not feel awesome about the possibilities of what's going to happen. And yet, here is his resolve. Look what he says. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. That word in Hebrew, wait patiently, it means deep peace. He says, I'm going to choose to have peace about this because I know God is on his throne. He is choosing this. This type of peace is a choice. And then he says in verse 17 through 19, let me read this to you. 
Though the fig tree does not bud, there's no grape on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the field produce no food. Though there is no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like a deer and he enables me to tread on the heights. This is the type of faith that God was calling for in chapter 2. The righteous will live by faith. So as I apply this text to our lives, let me give you five quick applications as we wrap up. This is going to be quick, I promise. Here we go. Number one, hope can exist alongside grief, stress, and anxiety. Okay? Um, I've showed you before, uh, his feelings, the, you feel the grief. He knows his circumstances aren't going to change. And yet he still has faith that God's going to be faithful through it all. You see this with Jesus, right? Sweat drops of blood coming from his forehead, right? Um, yet he knows that this is the Father's will. Listen, Christians will get stressed and they will grieve, but we don't grieve without hope. We're not going through anxiety without hope, right? Um, second thing you see here is this, is that hope and joy is ultimately a choice. Look at verse 18. He says, I will wait patiently. And then in verse 18 he says, I will rejoice. That I will that is language of a choice he is making. I love Philippians where Paul says, in a command, rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. Like that's not a suggestion, that's a command. You see, rejoicing is not a description of our feelings. It's a choice to posture your heart to what you know to be true, even if you don't see or feel it. We are called in this broken world to choose joy. Y'all knew that hashtag was coming eventually, right? Right? There it is. You're welcome. Um, third thing we see here in the text. Hope comes from remembering and repeating. I mean, I think that's the big lesson you get from Habakkuk in remembering the Exodus. The Bible never tells you something once. It repeats itself over and over and over again. I love Psalm 103, verse 2. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Can I just tell you this morning, your spiritual health will be directly determined by how often you review the benefits of God and your salvation the rest of your days. The important thing you got to get here is we have to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Fourth thing, the height of hope comes from the depth of our faith. Verse 19, sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like a deer. He enables me to go to the tread, tread on the heights. Um, but you notice here, the new height of faith that was coming, um, that comes when God himself is your strength, when God himself is your joy. This doesn't come when God gives you things that give you strength, when God gives you things that bring you joy. It comes from God himself. Can I go deeper into this for just a second? If you look in verse 18, it says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. This is not joy from God. This is joy in God, knowing I am in right relationship with him. And here's the thing. This is where God wants to take every Christ follower. He wants to bring you into this. But it only happens when you walk 
with him through trial. You see, the, the, these aspects of God where, where you get to know him like this, they only come when the fields are empty and there's no cattle in the stall. And that's a metaphor, all right? But here's the thing. The greatest thing that God can give you is knowledge of him. Gnosko. Remember that word? He wants you to know who he is. He wants you to feel the value of his presence in your life. He wants you to feel the constant warmth of his compassion towards you. That only comes by walking through trial with him. As I close, George Mueller was a 19th century pastor who founded an orphanage. And there was many nights where he'd have about 100 kids at the table, and he had nothing to give them to eat. So he would pray, and dear God, we thank you for the advanced provision that you are about to give to us. And at the middle of the prayer, they'd get a knock on the door, and this happened consistently, a knock on the door, and it'd be a bakery in town that said, hey, we have all this leftover bread. Do you guys want it? I'm like, of course we want this. Thank you, Lord. You brought the food, you know? And um, over and over and over again, this thing happened to him. But in 1890, his wife contracted rheumatic fever. He prayed earnestly for her healing, but she passed away. She was 57 years old. The last verse he read to her was Psalm 84, 11. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk blamelessly with him. At her funeral, he preached from Psalm 119, 68. The Lord is good, and he does good. You see, George, George Mueller and his wife learned that the goodness of God was better than life, and that his goodness went deeper than the pain of life, and it was more abiding than the joys and the pleasures of life. So this final thing as we close is what I want you to get from the book of Habakkuk, this last application point. And that's this, hope in the future leads to prayer in the present. He says, Lord, I've heard the report of you. I've seen your work. Now in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. As I close today, that verse that I just read to you really hit me. In the years literally means in my years. In my years. God, I know one day you're coming back. You're going to make everything right again. Can't wait for that day. But you know what? I don't want to live the rest of my life just waiting for your return. In my years, right now, could you bring mercy? Could you bring revival? Could you bring blessing, God? Do we pray this way? Do we pray? We know that God is going to make it all right in the end. We've read the back of the book, right? But God, could you make things right now? Could you do something now? Listen, I want revival to break out in our community. I want revival to break out in my family. I want it to break out in, in my friends, in my small group, and all the things that I'm a part of. Is that something that we are praying for? Is that something we are begging God for? Because here's the deal. That's what Habakkuk's doing. And Habakkuk only had the exodus to go off of. We have something even greater than the exodus. You know what we have? Our Savior on a cross saying it is finished. As I close this morning, I challenge you with this. I know there's ups and downs in life. You might be up or you might be down. I'm not sure where you're at. But right now, could we pray? Could we remember and repeat the God of our salvation and pray that he would bring revival now, that he would bring mercy now, knowing that he's ultimately going to bring it in the end. Let's pray together.
Father, as we have looked at your word, God, oh, Lord, we remember your goodness to us. God, we want to repeat and remember your goodness. We want to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Father, there's people here this morning who need to recapture your goodness. They need to remember your faithfulness to them. God, who would we be had you not saved us? And Father, for some of us, we need to pray that the hope of the future needs to lead us now to pray for your blessing to pour out. And we ask all this in Jesus' good name. Amen. This morning, um, if you're walking without Jesus, I would hate to go through a trial in life without the Lord walking with me. But you don't have to walk alone. This morning, you can repent and believe and have a Savior who will walk with you from all of life's trials. If that's you this morning, you just come forward, talk to a pastor here at the front. We'll get you to a a decision counselor, and they'll walk you through this decision. For others, you have a Savior to walk with, but you don't have a community. You don't have a church home, and that's what you need. Listen, you don't have to walk alone. We're not a perfect church, but we're better than nothing. I love saying that, but um, we'd invite you to be a part of this church in the same way. Walk forward, talk to a pastor. We'll get you to a counselor. For some of you, though, it's just praying right now. God, pour out your mercy now. We know you're going to do it later, but could you do it now? We have even greater reason to believe he will than Habakkuk. Whatever the Lord is leading you to do, would you stand and respond to the word of God?
be seated now as we continue to worship through giving our tithes and offerings. And if you have that guest card, you can drop that in the plate as it comes by as well. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the hope that you've shared with us. Let us be like the stars that, that worship you and, and shine like in the darkness. Bless these tithes and offerings so that we can spread the hope of your salvation. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. spoke words you were singing over me you have been so so good to me before I took a breath you breathed your life in me you have been so so
Amen. Today has been a blessing. I'm so grateful for uh, the student band for leading us. It's been great. Hey, I've got a friend I want to introduce to you today. And so this is Channing Kilgore and his daughter, Alethea, his wife, Katie um, Kilgore, cannot be with us this morning with the other child, Amelia, correct? That's correct. But um, Channing and Katie are uh, in the process now of moving to Murfreesboro, and they're about to plant a church. And so we just wanted to take a moment to allow Channing to kind of talk about the church. Uh, no, man, you just got to talk loud. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, Channing's going to share a little bit. And then as they're beginning this transition point, we want to take a moment as a church to pray over them and, in a sense, commission them uh, during this, this time as they transition. So, go ahead. Okay. Well, I have some slides. I don't know if they have those ready or not. No slides. Okay. I had a joke in there, so I guess it's going to lay flat. But... Uh, well, most of y'all know my wife, Katie Taylor. She's the, the daughter of Steve and uh, Becky Taylor. Uh, she grew up in this church. But uh, long story short, uh, we married four years ago and have two beautiful daughters. And we began to pray about what the Lord might have for us. And it came to church planting. And it came to Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And the reason Murfreesboro came up, because we wanted to be around a college town in a place where there were internationals. Uh, so we can have a global effect. And I I'm not sure if you know this or not, but Murfreesboro is the 13th fastest growing city in the U.S. at this time. I mean, just absolutely overwhelming the amount of people that are moving there. Coming um, 
I think there's 100 new people every month moving into Murfreesboro. And in just five months, that's 500 people. You know, 12 months, obviously 1,200 people. I mean, that's enough for a new church. We know there are good churches there, but there's a need for more because there's uh, many more churches uh, there in that area. But we would like to invite you all to, um, at the end of the service, we'll be at the welcome desk. We have a sign-up sheet. If you would like to receive email updates about what's going on, we can uh, definitely get those to you. And we also have a Facebook page for the Church of Sovereign Grace Fellowship. It is a closed group due to the nature of some of the students and the information we share on that about what to pray for, um, that it is dangerous for some of these students' information to be leaked. Okay, we don't share names or anything, but we don't want any kind of information to be uh, leaked out. So if you want to be a part of that, we just want to make sure that you're a part of First Manchester and that we keep that information discreet in that, just because due to the nature of some of the students that we're working with, uh, from some of these very, very closed uh, countries. So please pray for us in that. And there's going to be opportunities for you all to be involved. I mean, we're going to have mission outreach projects, and we're going to be just up the road. <laughs> and um, my daughter sees her cousin in the back there waving at her. So, But uh, please pray for us. Uh, stay in touch. We'd love to, for you all to know what's going on. And as we've been here about a year and a half trying to transition to Murfreesboro, the Lord has finally got us to the place financially and giving us a house that we can get up there and move in. So pray for us next month or so. It's going to be a lot of transition, getting the house ready and so forth. But uh, the Lord gave us a house literally two minutes from campus with an acre and a half of land for an incredible deal. And it's just uh, our agent said, you found a needle in a haystack. We said, no, the Lord provided for us because he wants us to use this this close to the campus to be able to reach these people for Christ. And just real quick, and I'll close, that we've already had two girls that we've ministered to in the past uh, that came from China and Japan who had never heard about Jesus, that we got information earlier this year. They said, I'm going to follow Jesus now. And two years ago, they'd never heard of him. And so the, the mission field is white to harvest. So pray for us. Thank you all for the opportunity to be a part of the church for this last year and a half. And uh, please continue to pray for us. All right. Channing, Channing is going to be at the Welcome Center. And um, so if you want to go meet him there, I'm going to pray, and he's going to magically disappear and end up at the Welcome Center. So we're excited about that. But if you want to stop by, say hello, and be a part of uh, learning about more, how you can pray for him, Channing will be there. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us, God. And Lord, as we walk through um, a broken world, God, we know that you're walking right there with us. We thank you for this. We pray for Channing and Katie, God, as they plant this church in Murfreesboro, God. I pray that you would bless them, use them as they reach the nations right here in our own backyard. And we thank you for them and for their vision, God. Bless them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We come alive.
Just let your light make us shine. 